Hello, and welcome to Scary to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Wow, what a week, everybody. I am tired physically and emotionally. I'm not an actor, per se, but I do background acting as my day job. I've talked about it a little bit here and there, I think. Anyway, this week I got to take part in a movie that was... An amazing experience. I can't talk about it much, but I will say I was in handcuffs chained to a desk for the past week, and man am I exhausted. I'm so sorry the episode is late. I was actually up till 1am this morning trying to get it out, but I felt myself getting lazy with my editing and I really didn't want to deliver anything subpar. I'm so grateful to the authors for letting me read their work, and they deserve much better than 1am me half asleep at my desk trying to rush their stories. So here it is. I don't have much to report on this week. Let's just get into the episode. First up is actually a two-part story by Lauren Endling. After you hear this one, you may be itching for a part three. I know I am. I present... Scenes from the worst family reunion ever. The first thing you should know about Cece is that she was a Pinteresty nightmare of a human with a very rich father. One of those people who never worked a day in her life gets some harebrained business idea and trots off to daddy for a handout, which is why she owned a cafe at 24, and at 31, I was working for her. It was a cute little place too, well, is a cute little place, really hipstery, but this city isn't what you'd call cool, so the few locals who think they are eat it up. It's vegetarian, Mostly fancy iced tea and lunch food, and me. I manage the whole thing. It's a shit gig, but for 11.25 an hour, I'll do it. That wasn't what made Cece a nightmare, though. She had a useless college degree. A boyfriend who called himself Raskolnikov as his nom de plume. Had he ever written anything? You tell me. In the deep-seated conviction, she was good at running the business. I worked and shut up and took her money. Point is, when she announced she'd found a guy who could help her make a deal with some kind of spirit, I kind of ignored it. Because Cece said a lot of shit and no one was paying me to question her. I gave the place six months like it was. Our grimy Rust Belt city just wasn't ready for Bella's. Named for her Chiweenie, of course. She mentioned it on a Friday. Then came in Saturday morning, hectic under her expensive highlights. So, Beth, she said, loudly chewing gum at me. So, Beth, remember that thing I told you? Mm-hmm, I said, kneading pie crust for the rhubarb pie I was going to make. With a fancy lattice top, I decided. Or the star cutouts? She leaned towards me, smelling like expensive shampoo and fruity perfume. Well, it worked. You see, this place is about to be hopping. I did the stars, and business actually did pick up. A lot. 
I figured it was because the students were coming back and not because she'd made some kind of deal with some spirit or something. But at least I could put off job hunting a bit longer. It was almost a year later. The business was steady, if not red hot, and I was still making that same eleven twenty-five an hour. She rarely came in for the early morning work, but for some reason she rolled in at 7.04 a.m., holding a giant venti frap and shouting into her phone. I don't care, Chucky. Was that Raskolnikov's real name? I kept mixing the egg wash for today's pain Purdue with the seasonal berry compote, eyes down. She screamed a bit more and then turned, storming off into the office, dragging poor Bella behind her on a little bedazzled leash. I resolved to slip the poor thing a little fake and bacon later for her trouble. About an hour later, she stormed into the kitchen, looking as mad as the time I caught her eating a chicken sandwich on the slick. She had a mason jar. Of course it was a mason jar. She threw it at the wall, almost hitting my face, and it sent shards of glass and dust and what looked like tiny bones and other things I didn't want to look at across my clean floor when it missed my cheekbone and hit the wall. What? It doesn't work! He said he'd make my dreams come true. He said it had everything I ever wanted. I got a dustpan. I'm not good at confrontation. I should have said something then. I should have walked out because she just chucked a jar at my face. But I needed the money. So I swept it all up and dropped it in the trash and kept working. Sweet potato quinoa chili. Tempeh marinated in a sriracha maple glaze to grill for lunch with turnip greens and balsamic marinated pecans. Pears poached in whiskey and served with a cashew cream sauce. It was Friday, our busy day, and I'd planned on some good stuff for the lunch rush. Shit, I said. My finger was bleeding. The knife had slipped. I wrapped it, sterilized the surface, and threw the pear in the trash. I could hear Cece screaming into the phone at someone worked faster, eager to miss round two when she freaked out again sometime after lunch. At least, if the pattern held. From what I could make out, Raskolnikov had left her for another member of her circle, a Daria clone named... Brie? Brie? Anyway, Cece was bawling like a dying goat, so probably talking to her father, I thought. At least, I thought, she had a father to talk to. I never had. Or a mother, for that matter. My grandmother had raised me in a different, grimy, rust-belt city. And while she was never cruel, I suspected she hadn't wanted to be raising a kid at her age. She smelled like cigarettes and setting lotion. And she never smiled. Those were my memories of Grandma Lois. A lot of shapeless t-shirts with cartoon characters and baggy shorts which showed her veined legs and a lot of ugly handbags which she crammed full of circulars from Jake's Deli, Bingo Nights, and dry cleaners she never used. The phone call cut off, and she came back into the kitchen. That, she said, and used a really foul word. Foul enough, I almost dropped my whisk. But didn't. I kept whisking, and then the wall was opening. Or rather, there was a deep grinding sound from the brick. A wrenching that was strangely organic, and Bella sprang from the office to bark. 
Mordor dust was flying over my faultlessly clean workspaces, and I stepped back as the wall finally separated like wet paper, and two things stepped through. They were very tall, maybe eight feet each, with oversized heads bobbing on thin, stock-like necks with pipe-stem arms dangling impossibly far down, so their huge, clawed hands were almost at their knees. Their chests were bare but thin to the point of emaciation, showing not just their ribs but their sternums in stark relief. Their faces were worse. The top half was human enough with oversized wet eyes and crowned in long, greasy hair of an indeterminate color. The nose was a nub, but below it the jaw spread and bulged, filled with thousands of tiny, sharp teeth. They breathed wetly, shambling towards us. Cece shrieked. I didn't mean to drop it. It was her. She did it. She kept shrieking, but they never stopped coming, shoving past me and grabbing her between them like a rag doll. I tried to turn away, but couldn't, even when they began to pull. I managed to shut my eyes, but I heard it, too scared to move how it was when they began to eat her and she was still screaming somehow even like that I covered my ears and when the sounds were fainter I made myself look the floor was a welter of blood the walls were bloodied the ceiling was dripping they walked slowly and bent down so we were eye to eye I made myself stand very still. The stench was atrocious, and under it all, the smell of her perfume. We stared at one another for a long, long time. Pie? Inanely, it was all I could think of. Their big heads nodded, and I cut a pie in half with the first clean knife I found. They accepted their pieces and ate them in three bites. When they opened their mouths, I could hear her screaming and chippering. It's lemon icebox. They licked their fingers, and I cut them some chest pie, some blueberry lemon tart, Some figs and puff pastry and drizzled and hot honey. They ate it all, nodding in appreciation. Did you want some coffee? Head shakes this time. I heard footsteps from the gaping maw in the wall. Honestly, you two, can't you see she's scared to death? A man stepped through. Tall and slim. He was our target demographic, I realized queasily. A well-heeled hipster, complete with sneakers that cost more than my rent. His hair was perfectly cut. He even had on those stupid glasses. 
Sorry about that, Bethany. Their orders were to come to get the other one, not eat up your dessert case. Go back through, and I'll deal with you two later. He pointed, and they did it at once, shuffling as if ashamed. At least the screaming stopped when they stepped through. He smelled amazing up close. His eyes were blue, then green, then brown, then hazel. My name is Andrew Malleus, but you can call me Mal. He offered a hand. Through sheer reflex, I offered mine back, and he shook it. His nails were claws, like a cat's. I'm betting you have questions. No. No. He raised a brow. I just want to go home at this point. Um, is she... Is she... She's not coming back. He laughed. <laughs> An inhuman sound like rocks grinding together. <laughs> Gracious, no. Uh, so, I'll lock up and... Then figure it out from there. I guess I should take Bella with me. He turned to look at the dog. Might not be a bad idea. That neighborhood is pretty terrible. Why Pine Place and not Terrace Gardens, incidentally? The guy in the unit next door gave me a bad vibe. Wait. How? Oh. Oh, he said and winked. I was going to offer to make a deal with you, actually. What? No. Oh, my God. No, 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 no. He laughed again, shoulders shaking. <laughs> I'm kidding you. I do want to talk to you, but I know you're processing a lot right now. Uh, yeah. So I'll just be going after I clean up. He snapped his fingers, and the kitchen was set to rights. He snapped a second time, and a few takeout boxes sailed toward the hot table. Food flew into it. Coffee is not breakfast. I'll come by later and explain everything. Good call on the neighbor, by the way. He's the Southport Strangler. I almost dropped the boxes. What? Oh, God, do I call the cops? What do I tell them? Mal sighed out and shook his head. We have so much to talk about. He frowned a little and said, There. I told one of them to check up on him again. So it's done, and you can just go home. There's dog food and a crate at your house already. The cameras? What is this, amateur hour? <laughs> it's all fixed already. There's a car outside. It'll drive you home. Um, I'll be there around six. Maybe you could get some more sleep in the meantime. You look awful. The shock was just starting to wear off. Yeah. Anything to get out. Anything to go home and hide. Beth? 
Mal? You smiled at me. Your mom and dad said for me to tell you. They're glad we found you. Mom and dad? He nodded toward the door. My aunt and uncle. We're cousins. That was the end of the first part of our story. Now, back to the story. I actually did pretty okay at first for someone who'd just seen her boss eaten alive by demons. I climbed into the idling Tesla, noted there was no driver, and kept my eyes straight ahead, not talking until it let us out at Pine Place. It had been a nice neighborhood at one point, my elderly neighbors told me. I sometimes brought them leftovers, and in return they offered me stories about how it had been before the city began to die. The plants closed, the factories went next, and now, every year, things got a little grimier. Bella hopped out when I whistled. I grabbed my food and said thank you to whatever was driving, and then keyed into the building. I could hear Binks shouting from my apartment, and Bella barked, but only once. I opened the door, and Binks's squashed face came into view. He was a big, jet-black Tom who'd come to my door years earlier and cried to get in. He was old then, the veteran of a thousand fights. One eye was missing, the opposite ear was chewed, and he walked with a limp. He yowled, and Bella bounded toward him, and Binks, hissing, jumped on the couch. Bella's going to stay here now. I scratched his ears, and he stared up at me with his big green eyes, and then turned and stalked out. Bella began to sniff her new digs, sometimes pausing to roll on something especially interesting. I heated the food, poured myself a vodka, and then sank to my knees, forcing a pillow over my mouth to stifle my screams. I screamed until my throat felt raw and hot, lying on the floor as the dog whined and the cat stalked and grumbled. I finally stood up. Shaking and sat at the tiny table with a plate of tempeh and greens and began to eat mechanically, shoving it into my mouth and drinking long pulls of the vodka. Things began to get a little less raw. Every sound was like a trumpet announcing the arrival of some new horror, and denial was not possible because Bella was lying at my feet, snoring, and Cece was dead and eaten. I rose, washed my dishes, screamed a little more, and went into the bathroom, checking every corner in the closet as if it would help. Bella had peed when we were outside, at least. I put a can of food down, fed Banks, and cut the big fan on, shocking my work clothes and then crawling into bed. My head was full of feathers and wind. I thought I'd never be able to sleep, but as soon as I laid down, sleep pulled me under. Someone was in my room. I laid as still as possible, hoping it was the dog and knowing it wasn't. Breathing on my neck and a foul smell, like old blood and rust. It was fast, wet breathing. Hello. I rolled onto my back, groping for my phone and trying to find my glasses. Why had I taken my contacts out? I could see the twin forms not far from the bed. Are you hungry? They nodded, 
I stood up and skinned into sweats and a t-shirt. When I left the bedroom, the things came with me, shuffling. I gave them some scrambled tofu I had in the fridge and sat down at the table, opening the box which held a fresh pie. I could, I thought, be sensible and cut a piece. I grabbed a fork and dug in. Fuck sensible, I thought. Why are you here? Did Mal send you? In a matter of speaking, said Mal, stepping from nothing into the middle of the floor. But I definitely didn't say to stand there and creep stare her, dudes. Mal plopped down in the other chair. So, you seem like you're still pretty sane. That's good. No saner than before, but not less either. He laughed. So, I watched your records today. Interesting stuff. Lois was kind of a rough trip, huh? I swallowed a little more vodka. Yeah, it sucked, but it's over now. He leaned toward me, eyes glowing just a little in the dim of the kitchen. Did you check the news? I picked up my phone and clicked. I had notifications from our local news channel. Local man arrested in murder of nine women in Southport. My hand felt loose and shivery. Oh, wow. Mal motioned to my food. Look, your dad's going to be annoyed if I let you get drunk before we do this. He's not thrilled about stuff as it is. Like what? This place... Your lack of assertiveness. Also, you cheated on a spelling test in the third grade? He clicked his tongue. Shame on you. I would have thought you'd like that. What? No. Education is important. You have to remember, you've really only ever gotten about a quarter of the story. It's way more complicated than most humans think. I took a sip of my vodka and realized it was water. Mal. Fine, fine. This time it was Pepsi, at least. What did Lois ever tell you about them? Don't you know all this? I want to know what you think is true. I saw your past, not your thoughts or desires. I drank Pepsi. My mother's name was Jerrica. She liked drugs. One day she came home with me and said Lois had to take me because she couldn't raise me. I was, I think, two. She left the next day and then OD'd right after that. Lois said she didn't know who my father was. I'd only ever asked once. To know, she said, her nicotine-stained fingers, pinched and tight on the filter of her cool. Some junkie. Jerrica could pick him. She took a long drag. Don't matter now. Did she leave me anything? Lois made a coughing, phlegmy sound. It was a laugh. (laughs) Not shit. 
I never asked again. She died when I was 24. I went to the house that had been hers. That was not home. And spent a weekend boxing up the empty margarine tubs which she'd kept food in. Half-used bottles of lotion and old lady scents. And calendars from takeout places. Jerrica was a troubled person, for sure. She was an ideal candidate for our needs. We have a kind of arrangement going with upstairs. The boss doesn't... He paused. It was a pretty civil disagreement, actually. Sort of like a divorce. They still talk. Oh, I said, and drank more Pepsi. One of the parts of it was that when there's no one and nothing worth saving, then it's all over. That's sort of where you came in. There's 36 of you worldwide. We find suitable candidates and try to prove some kind of random sampling of experiences, and hopefully you all prove yourselves to be worthy. Worthy of what? One of 36 people who prove the human race is worth saving every time his wrath begins to exceed his mercy. Your folks will explain it better since they know more about those things. Uh, 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 no, I, no, I, I'm not. I thought about the quiet gray vista of my life and how nothing in it was dramatic enough to be someone the way Mal thought I was. I, I'm just a nobody who cooks a little, Mal. <laughs> Let your folks hear you say that and see what happens. Also, denying is sort of actually part of the proof, so yes, you are. Why babies... From there. The pit. The polite word is the pit. Because it proves it isn't a fluke. Your DNA predisposes you to certain behaviors. But you don't give in to them. You choose to be good. Basically, even though evil would be just as natural to you. Maybe not evil, more like Inhumanity. So, are evil people like I am? I named names. Mal shook his head. No, they're humans. That's sort of what hell is for. <laughs> Imagine, humans are jars of water. Everybody starts out full brim, right? Okay. Now imagine that every time you do something you aren't supposed to, a little water tips out. A drop for when you were a kid and you say, cheat on a spelling test, Bethany. A splash for cheating on a spouse. A cupful for killing someone. More, depending on circumstances. But that's kind of a good analogy. I drank more Pepsi, wishing it were spiked.
So, bad people lose too much? He suddenly scowled over my shoulder. Get out of there! I turned only to see the thing standing at the counter, staring longingly at the rest of the pie. Mal huffed, rolling his eyes, and said, Can they have a little? Hellhounds are incredibly single-minded. I nodded, and he cut them some via a finger snap. <laughs> said one. It turned to look at us, big, wet eyes pleading. Mal grunted and rose. We don't need your help right now, but if we do, then we'll call you two first. They shuffled into nothingness. Mal said, Oh, they like you at least. I drank more Pepsi. The jars? Ah, yes. Broadly, that's accurate. Thing is, most people... Never spill enough for us to come into play. It's rare, though possible, for a single act to spill so much that the big guy won't deal with you anymore. It, it tends to be a pattern of behavior, basically, and by the time we become aware of it, then it's probably too late to reverse the course. Some of them do it. Occasionally, those deathbed repentances are sincere. Why Cece? Cece. Wow. <laughs> Cece. She was so young, but she was just... <laughs> wow. He snapped his fingers and my Pepsi vanished, replaced with a jug of water and a cup. Seriously, how are you not bouncing off the walls right now? You live on caffeine. He wasn't wrong, so I drank the water. What did she do? What, was it just the deal? He snorted, shaking his head again. Deals on their own usually aren't enough to do it, but it's a, a strong step in a particular direction. She didn't know exactly who I was but she was clear that she was trading a life for her success. Whose life? I looked at Bella, who was snoring on the couch. Or Raskolnikov, who seemed like an ass, but didn't deserve to be eaten. Mal put a hand over mine and squeezed a little. Yours, actually. She promised me that, in a year's time, I could have you. She didn't know who I was, but she knew what I was, in basic terms. When you cut yourself, and it fell on the dust, I thought she decided to seal the deal and sent the hellhounds for her. And my parents? We pulled your records so we could fix your memory after, and it was flagged. Once someone checked it, well... He rose. Wanna change your clothes? I looked down at my Bella's shirt and sweats and my greasy skin and unbrushed hair. Change? Why? 
for a trip. It's going to take a minute to get there. Wear something comfy. I blinked, trying to process. We're going... Where? Home, Bethy. We're gonna go see your folks! Now you can see why I hope Lauren writes a third part. (laughs) Now, our next author, you know her from her incredibly moving story about someone meeting a grim reaper. It was called Death's Witness. And it was the second story in episode 25, Quietus. Tess Rook is back with another great story. By the way, I know a lot of you were huge fans of Death's Witness. You can find more of Tess's work on her website, blackwateralchemy.com. I will put a link in the show notes to that. Give her some clicks and tell her I say hi. Here we go. This is Human Canvas, Virgin Skin. Human Canvas Wanted. Free Tattoos. Virgin Skin Preferred. DM for details. The ad popped up on my Instagram feed. In a sea of photos featuring Starbucks cups and yoga poses, the dayglow text and flashy images grabbed my attention like a bear trap. It was posted by one of my favorite artists, Bo, out of a little shop about an hour away. I'd been following him for a few years. His neo-traditional style clean lines and penchant for occult signs made me a rabid fan of his work. Although I'd been trying to save up enough to book an appointment with him, there was never much left at the end of my paycheck to make any real headway. That's why when I saw the ad for free tattoos, with one of my idols no less, I messaged him right away. Hi Bo, I'm a longtime fan of your work and I absolutely love your style. I just saw your ad seeking a human canvas, and I'm definitely interested. If you could let me know the details, that would be great. Thank you. I spent the next hour scrolling through his feed, saving my favorite designs, already fantasizing about the feel of needles, dragging ink across my skin. His reply came around 11 a.m., the ping of the notification jolting me out of a Netflix binge. Hello, thanks for your interest. I'm looking for a tattoo model to expand my portfolio. I have a few designs I'd really like to do, so in exchange for full creative license, there will be no charge for the tattoos. Still interested? I replied back immediately, letting him know I would happily let him tattoo whatever he wanted. After all, his work was incredible, and I knew I'd love anything he gave me. After a bit more back and forth, he confirmed that he had checked out my profile, pleased with the fact that I had virgin skin, no existing tattoos, as well as the look he wanted to showcase his work with. We struck a deal and set a time to begin. I couldn't believe it. Out of all the potential applicants who had doubtlessly contacted him, he chose me, and he liked my look. While I'd always considered myself cute, there was nothing 
remarkable about me. Long, wavy blonde hair, blue eyes, and a petite frame. Nothing like the usual tattoo models and Instagram influencers that clogged my feed. High on the rush of being chosen, I eagerly awaited my first appointment. The following Tuesday, I pulled up to the shop, barely able to contain my excitement. Bo had warned me that we would be doing a large piece, so armed with a cachet of protein bars, bottled water, and bundled in my comfiest clothes, I was ready. As I pushed open the door, the sounds of Father John Misty blasting through the stereo and the smell of antiseptic greeted me. Just a second, shouted a voice from the back room, somewhat muffled. A flock of butterflies sat in my stomach, ready to take flight at any moment. This was it. Finally. I busied myself with perusing the flash on the walls, taking in the immaculately clean surroundings in the process. Everything felt right, and I knew in that moment that I was exactly where I was meant to be. Swinging the saloon-style gate open, Bo finally emerged from the back. Hey! You must be Harlow, he said, reaching out a tattooed hand to shake mine. I'm so excited to get started. Why don't you follow me into the back and we'll go over everything? Dumbstruck, I meekly nodded and followed him. His Instagram profile was mostly pictures of his work with only a sprinkling of personal photos. While I had held a vague idea of what he looked like, nothing could have prepared me for reality. He was gorgeous. Tall, lean, disheveled hair, and piercing eyes above sharp cheekbones. He had a definitive David Bowie look, and his plain white t-shirt, black jeans, and scuffed combat boots only served to highlight the intricate designs that wove around his arms, the backs of his hands, and one side of his neck. Before we start, I, I just wanted to say thank you for this opportunity, I'm so honored that you chose me, I said, breaking the silence as we entered his work area. He smiled, eyes meeting mine as he shrugged one shoulder. When I saw your message, it just felt right. Plus, it's me who should be thanking you, he chuckled. <laughs> I've been wanting to do some of these designs for ages. He pulled a paper from a file on the desk, sliding it over to me. This is what I was thinking we'd start with. At this size, it would fit your thigh perfectly. What do you think? He asked, his excitement obvious. I studied the design, my breath catching in my throat. It was perfect. A beautiful woman, head turned in profile, clutching a crystal ball in her hands, her pointed nails like talons on the glass. A series of runes floated like a halo above her head, and a candle's flame cast shadows across the planes of her face. Yes, I whispered, awestruck, unable to look away from the design. This is exactly what I would have chosen. With that, a wide smile broke across his face. I'm so happy you like it, he exclaimed, snatching the paper back. I'll go print the stencil, and then we're ready to start. You can hop up on the bed and get comfortable. I'll be right back. He darted away, and I arranged myself on the massage table, the paper covering it crinkling under my weight as I settled in. 
I had just calmed my breathing when he returned, after placing the stencil high on my right thigh and preparing his work area. He carefully tipped a small measure of dry gray pigment into an ink cup before putting his gloves on. Ready? he asked, the cluster of needles poised over my skin, the gleam in his eye. Let's do it, I replied, and with that, the room filled with the sounds of the tattoo machine. Six hours later, my mind fuzzy and legs swollen, I stumbled out of the shop with a promise to return the following week. Time had passed both slowly and all at once. A mix of discomfort, endorphins, and the ritual of tattoo itself. Buzz, pain, ink dip, buzz, pain, pause, wipe, repeat. Although lightheaded and sore, I felt better than I could remember for a long time. The thrill of my new tattoo, a heady rush. The feeling carried me through the days that followed, and they passed at record speed. I was so consumed with my excitement over my next appointment. I frequently felt my focus slipping. At work, hanging out with friends, I could feel myself zoning out, nothing mattering as much as the next tattoo. I felt like I was walking through life in a trance, only half noticing the world around me. I was euphoric. I was making changes, reinventing myself physically, which would hopefully spurn me into action in other areas of my life as well. However, sleep deprivation was also contributing to my new tendency to zone out. I'd always had vivid dreams, but was now plagued by nightmares as well. Black smoke stinging my nose, fire licking my skin, the sound of rending metal and screeching tires jolted me from sleep almost every night. Refusing to focus on the negative, clinging to my excitement over the new tattoos, I chalked it up to anxiety about the new direction I was taking. Change is hard, after all. Finally, I found myself back in Beau's shop. The next design, unveiled with similar excitement, was a set of alchemical symbols. Illustration-style herbs and flowers and crystals. Latin script framed the whole piece flowing around and through the other elements like a ribbon. Placed on my upper left arm, cuffing beautifully over my shoulder cap and stopping just above my elbow, it took another grueling session to complete. Hours later, I floated out of the shop once again, buoyed by an increasing sense of contentment, growing with each new drop of ink pressed into my skin. Weeks bled into one another, my collection of tattoos growing and my connection with Bo growing as well. During the long sessions, we discussed almost everything, able to effortlessly slip between intense conversation and comfortable silence. Outside of the tattoo studio, however, my inattention was getting worse. My performance at work was suffering, and my friends had commented that I always seemed to be miles away. I attempted to make more of a conscious effort to keep my mind sharp, but it was useless. Sleeping poorly and awakening nightly drenched in sweat 
had left me unwilling to close my eyes at all. To distract myself, I gave myself over fully to daydreams about my visits to the shop, fantasizing about how my skin would look when the project was complete. The beautifully intricate designs and the buzz of the needle invaded my every waking moment. The ink was like a drug, and I was a junkie. These thoughts were also accompanied by daydreams of Bo. I felt as though I had known him for years, and I looked forward to our sessions together more than anything. My excitement was so complete that I would frequently find myself losing time with no memory of what I had been doing, consumed by anticipation. Eventually, the tattoo project was almost finished. In addition to the thigh and upper arm tattoos, Bo had also etched me with many others. A serpent wound around my wrist, while two tarot cards adorned the tops of my feet. A moth, a skeleton ring, a string of mala beads, and countless symbols now marked my body. Constellations of artwork mapping my experience. I arrived at the final appointment bereft, desperate to prolong my time with Bo. Although the professional arrangement was at an end, I couldn't bear the thought of no longer seeing him. I sat in the chair, trying to collect my courage while Bo outlined my last tattoo. An extinguished match, tip blackened and bent, wisps of smoke drifting around it. My eyes cast around the shop, a space I had become so familiar with over the last months as I struggled to find the right words to say. Should I be bold and ask him if he'd like to get a drink with me sometime? I wondered. He had seemed to be flirting with me at points, but it was possible I had completely misread the situation. At war with my indecision, my eyes landed on a photo attached to the top corner of the mirror above his workstation, which I had never noticed before. A blonde woman smiled in the picture, dressed in denim shorts and a tank top, nodded to expose a flat strip of her stomach. She leaned back on a motorcycle, head cocked to one side, tanned legs crossed at the ankle of her black boots. Is that your girlfriend? I asked Bo, nodding my head towards the photo, already heartbroken over the possibility. He paused lifting the needle from my skin where the tattoo was almost complete. It was, he said, pausing to take a deep breath before continuing. She was killed a year ago. Car accident. I was instantly appalled, having brought up what was undoubtedly a very sensitive subject. Oh, oh my God, Bo, I'm so sorry. I lamented, my stomach having turned to lead. He nodded, offering me a sad half-smile as he bent once more to continue the tattoo. While he worked, the strokes of the needle passing over my skin, my eyes once more rested on the photo. The more I looked, the more I began to notice the similarities. 
her long, wavy blonde hair, blue eyes, and petite frame. We could be sisters, I thought, taking in the details more rapidly. There, peeking out from the hem of her shorts, was a tattoo of a woman in profile, a crystal ball in her hands. On her upper arm sat the alchemy design, the snake around her wrist. Each tattoo, a twin to the ones now marked upon my own skin. Bo noticed me stiffen, no doubt also hearing the hitch in my breath. Suddenly, his hand gripped my forearm, fingers digging painfully into the flesh just above my fresh tattoo. I was paralyzed, struck not only by the idea that Bo would do something as morbid as tattooing someone with replicas of his dead girlfriend's designs, but also by the cold, hard look in his eyes. In an instant, there was no trace of the man I thought I had gotten to know. Too bad you didn't notice sooner, he sneered, leaning closer until his nose nearly touched my own. It's too late now. I recoiled, pressing backwards into the chair as far as I could. Bo, what are you talking about? Let me go, I said as I tried to pull my arm from his vice-like grip. He grinned, nuzzling the side of my face. My girlfriend Riley died exactly one year ago today, he whispered, words tickling my ear. And it's time. She came back. I started thrashing then, the seriousness of the situation truly setting in. What the fuck are you talking about? I screamed, tears freely streaming down my face. You're crazy! Let me go! His fist, crashing into my jaw was his only answer. When I awoke, he was once again poised over my arm with the tattoo machine, the needles dancing across my skin. As my eyes focused and my bearings returned, he carefully tapped the dry gray pigment into the ink cup dipping the needle in before resuming the tracery on my skin. I tried at once to move, to sit up, anything, but quickly realized my arms and legs were now secured with thick leather straps binding me to the table. Oh good, you're awake, he said calmly, not pulling his eyes away from his work. It's almost time. I was about to start screaming, hoping someone would hear me. And suddenly, a peaceful feeling washed over me. My previous terror forgotten. All done, Bo said, a smile pulling up one side of his lips as he sprayed my arm carefully wiping the fresh tattoo one final time. I looked down at the new design, admiring how the shading expertly made it appear three-dimensional. 
I matched his smile with one of my own. It's perfect, baby. I crooned, voice husky as I was filled with an overwhelming love for the man in front of me. My panicked breathing ebbed as my pulse returned to normal, the earlier drama fading away completely. What had I been so worked up about? I thought, savoring the perfection of the moment. He kissed me then, sweet and slow, as he undid the straps binding me. Welcome back, Riley. Thanks for listening. I hope you loved this week's stories as much as I did. This week's soothing sounds to play you out is the sound of a fizzy drink being poured into a glass. You can hear some ice and the sound of bubbles. If you have any suggestions, remember to visit scareyoutosleep.com, hit that contact tab, and let me know what sounds you'd like to hear, or even if you want me to repeat any of the sounds I've already played. This week on Patreon, I will be posting a reading of The Cask of Amontillado. Thank you for the suggestion, David. Speaking of Patreon, a huge thank you and hug over the airwaves to my newest patrons, Chelsea Schof and Christopher Franke. I really hope I pronounced both your names correctly. I probably didn't, and I apologize. Welcome to the Patreon family, you guys. I obviously ran out of time to work on the kids episode, but I will get that out as soon as I can. Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, at ScareYouToSleep. If you'd like, you can follow my personal page, at Shelby B. Scott. Join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash ScareYouToSleep. And remember, if you use my offer codes for any of my sponsors, it really helps me out. So think about checking those out. I will have links to them in the show notes. I think that's all. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.